This is Thinking Out Loud, a podcast about current events and Christian hope. Have a hard time putting those two things together? You're not alone. Our timelines may be filled with bad news, but at Thinking Out Loud, we believe the gospel speaks to every issue, past, present, and future. And we want this to be your place to process truth. So what does it mean to live in the light of the gospel's eternal truth rather than in the shadow of our never-ending dumpster fires? That's the question animating this conversation between Nathan Rittenhouse and Cameron McAllister, co-founders of Thinking Out Loud, a ministry that wants to move apologetics out of the ivory tower and into your living room. Our hope at Thinking Out Loud is to see ordinary Christians advance the credibility of Christ. One way to do that is to respond to the day's news with genuine peace and resilience. So let's think out loud together about current events and Christian hope. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister, coming to you from the bottom of a swamp. (laughs) Yeah, so Cameron sounds an octave deeper or so today. Here it is, March 5th, 1862. And no, it's it's April 1st. And so this is the Uh day of pranks and... Silliness, and I don't know what what you get into or what you think of and associate with April Fools, but um, it's probably important not to forget that it is April Fools if you're listening to this thing uh, first thing in the morning. But anyway, Cameron, uh, some quick internet searching on my part, trying to figure out where in the world April Fools comes from. Does there's no real definitive answer here? Perhaps uh, a link to Chaucer and the Fox fully enchanted clear on the 32nd day of March. Maybe there's that. There's also some stuff like back in like a French calendar being switched to a new system and some of the things that go along with that. But it's widely distributed around the world. Almost most countries participate in some version of April Fool's. It's only an official holiday in one town in the Ukraine. But why? I mean, so whatever reference it has, is it's really old. Why do we, and it's not an official holiday, so why do we keep that up? What's going on? Any speculation there of what do we like about it or hate? Could be both of those. Well, not one that's particularly incisive or deep, but I think it's fun. You know, it's fun to pull pranks on people. And it's funny, you said if you're listening right now, probably good, wise for you to, to recognize that this is April Fool's Day. Why? Because, yeah, it's it's we find ourselves being led into pranks often, and it's easy to do that. But it's funny because right now, I think April Fool's is intersecting with a cultural moment. Oh, no, here he goes. Ruining it already. Ruining the fun. But look, I think one of the most reviled qualities in our day might be gullibility. I mean, it, I, it, it's got to be up there at least. And so, oh yeah, well, you April remember Fools, the old? Of course, I mean, did yeah. you ever did did you ever do the joke trying to t- t- convince somebody that they took the word gullible out of the dictionary? Oh, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that was that was a common one. You could, Absolutely. you know, sometimes you could get somebody on that in high school, but uh, there you go. Yeah, so I mean, I, I do think that it's so it, it's a combination of fun. It hits some interesting tensions because there's just this. There's this deep-seated fear in many of us of getting tricked, getting fooled, 
And the online world has only exacerbated that. It's easier to trick people, it's easier to fool people, and it's easier to come up with something that looks really compelling and looks really very real and lead them on. So I think the main reason it's got such sticking power is because it's fun. I don't know. What about you, yeah, Nathan? Well, what do you I was think? just I was just curious. Do you have any favorite April Fool's pranks or jokes that you've heard of or things that pop into your mind as ones that give you an extra grin? Not really. I it's funny because I'm not while, you, while you're well Yeah. Well, I, I was just thinking while you're thinking of that, you know, what was the I forget where the radio station was that did the warning about dihydrogen monoxide coming out of everybody's uh, faucets that morning in a city, which of course, you know, would be the chemical formula for water. So it's totally normal for water to come out of everybody's spigots and faucets that morning. But it, I think there was, I don't, I forget if there's legal action associated with that or not, because it caused a massive panic when people woke up and heard on the radio that dihydrogen monoxide was coming out of there. Uh, Because I mean, that just sounds terrible. (laughs) Um, So, you know, Things like that from a distance, that is a little bit funny. You get a chuckle out of that. You do, yeah. I don't know. I don't have a, a particular prank in my head because I'll I'll go ahead and be honest here. I haven't I'm not a fan of games. I'm not a fan of pranks. I'm not a fan of Yeah, it's oh gosh, this is scary to admit out loud. Now somebody's just gonna be, you know, waiting to pounce, so to speak. But yeah, I've never I've I have never gotten that into the spirit of really any kind of games. I guess this is just one holiday that's really lost on me, Nathan. But I don't think that's the case with you. In fact, you strike me as, well, I know you're quite a prankster. So, I mean, I'd love to hear what, what some of the memorable moments were for you. <laughs> well, no, so for for me, good pranks always capitalize on an opportunity that somebody else made. So you can't schedule them in advance. Um you just happen to find a dead squirrel and think it'd be a great idea to duct tape it that somebody's dorm room wall. Um, you know, you can't schedule that kind of thing in advance. So yes, I I I think I've toned it down. Um, I've never played a prank on Cameron. Uh, he's not the type of person that you seem like would really enjoy that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I I can I, I think actually there have been times in which we've been sitting around and I have hours of stories of things that I did that I thought were hilarious or did just to make people scratch their heads. Um, so there's, there's all of that. I think there's something different. I make a distinction though, between a prank and April fools often. So there's, there's a love. So, and, and part of this is we're, we're, we struggle here and maybe this is why it's universally possible is that people define these things in different ways. So you have, there's a biblical, biblical concept of a fool. Um, uh, that's there. You have, the fool, and that's somebody who isn't putting all of reality together in a way that makes any sense and is, in fact, sometimes dangerous. So there are foolish things to do in that sense. Then you have intentional fools, the court jester, the comedian, um, the people whose role it is in life to make other people laugh. There's that. I think April Fool's is like more like a, oh, hey, look at that elephant over there kind of, you know. It's not, it's not deep humor. It's more gotcha kind of stuff. And... That stuff isn't as funny to me because it's, and and I'm, I'm I struggle with this with my kids because helping them figure out what is a joke and what is a lie is very difficult, and so a joke that's a lie is not funny, and so some of the like, hey, look over there, and then I'm gonna poke you in the throat while you're looking that way, that's not, that's not humor, that's deceit, and so I think that's one of the places where. Well, I, 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 I'll give you an, I'll give you a story of so, my wife and I 
<laughs> as a general principle, uh, try to be truthful with our words to everybody, but specifically to our children. And somebody that we kind of distantly knew as an acquaintance stopped in and kept doing that to our kids when they were little, like, hey, look over there, and then like poke them or something. Um, and the kids didn't think it was funny and were totally shocked and kind of would look at us with this horrified look in their eye of like, why is this person lying to me repeatedly and then hurting me? <laughs> Which you wouldn't think of that unless you're a kid of this person's lying and hurting when somebody's like, look at that and then pokes you in the ribs or something. Um, so that person was clearly doing it as a joke and meant nothing by it. But if you look at it categorically of what it is, then there's a there's a way in which if you're manipulating somebody's trust in you, that's not a joke. So that those are the things that I lament the most of the past of my college days in particular, but lots of things in life is that there are things that are funny and things that are done to you that can be funny. And there's a low level of harm committed by most of the, but I think if you're manipulating somebody's confidence in you and the truthfulness of your words, then it's not a joke. And if you do something and you're tempted to say, I was only joking on the other side of it, that means it probably wasn't a joke. So I don't know. There's, there's a lot in there. So I'm, I'm pro funny thing while at the same time trying to distinguish a category of truthfulness at the same time. Does that, does that work? Am I a hypocrite there? Or is there a way to walk that line? I'm, I'm shooting for it, but I'd love to have your analysis. My analysis. Yeah. I, I think that there's something that is always at risk when we're dealing with any kind of humor or prank or trick is the element of cruelty. And then the other one is the element of dishonesty, both of which you've singled out here. Yeah. Because there are ways to a joke generally speaking, or a prank will come at somebody else's expense. And you want it to be, and you mentioned that usually there's going to be a spontaneous element. So the more carefully coordinated and carefully planned something is, sometimes it doesn't spring with that real fun that you want it to. But yeah, I mean, part of what makes this strange is that humor, if it works well, and I'm, I'm speaking generally of humor here, I guess that doesn't always apply, but humor has a way, if it works well, it can be very honest, but in a way that it kind of tells the truth at, at a slant. Think about the way exaggeration works in something like Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travels or the Canterbury Tales. Yeah, this is getting real highfalutin here, but <laughs> you get you get the idea. You you can you convey an idea through exaggeration blowing some, something up, making it cartoonish and a little bit absurd. And then that helps us to to better wrestle with some of the, sometimes the strange customs and conventions of our culture. Yeah, but... And so, but that's, I that, think one of the real benefits of... Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to say though, that, but that's, that's humor and comedy, which is not the same as a prank. Yeah. Because like you're saying, humor can often exaggerate or amplify yeah. what's true where most of what we're doing in, in trickery is concealing truth. Or are, you, if you play a prank on somebody, your delight is in getting them to believe something that isn't true. Momentarily, almost always. But that, so there, there's a difference there between 
comedy in which we can laugh at a situation or when it comes at the expense of somebody else, is it a joke? So we're not going down this rabbit trail, but I think we can all quickly think of an uh, incident that made national news of somebody telling a joke and somebody else not thinking that it's funny, right? So that's that's not a prank. That's that's a whole nother category of something. I don't even think we need to try to attempt to analyze it. Kind of, it is what it is. And there isn't really a story there. I'm sure there will be lots of headlines for a long time chasing that down. But it, it does point to, you used the word cruelty earlier. Um, so, okay. Let's, let's, we're not getting anywhere from this angle. Let's loop around and get it. So one of the number one reasons that people liked the show The Chosen is because it lets Jesus be funny. And very rarely in Christian productions or portrayals of Jesus does the humor element come through. I think you have, um, is it in one of the things where he's, where they're talking, they're making fun of Andrew because he can't dance at the wedding of Cana. And Jesus says, even I can't fix that. Right. So Mm -hmm. a great, you know, and there, and there are other lines like that throughout there, but that's one of the things that endears us to Jesus as portrayed in the chosen is that he seems more fully human because he's able to joke. And so, and there are people who really love that they feel included in a community if you can joke about them. Um, in fact, there was a guy who's <laughs> newer to our church and he said, I won't feel like I'm fully part of this church until this preacher makes a joke about me from the pulpit. Uh, and so there, there is a way sometimes in which humor and joking and kind of a familial um, fun way unites and binds people and make us and makes it seem like it's the community is more rich or maybe we're saying we have the relationship that can withstand a little bit of uh banter i, I don't know it, it, so there seems to be in some way something that binds us together through humor um and there's something that we delight in as, in trickery as humans or else this thing would not be celebrated globally like what what am i missing here there's there's, well, we're not, we're not, and, and maybe those of you listening are, are figuring this out faster than we are, but I can't figure out why this is a thing while at the same time, I can see why it's everywhere. Well, what, you keep, you're making the same, you're tripping up the same way I was. Now you're talking about humor and not trickery anymore. Yeah. So, y- yeah. yeah. So I think, I mean, these two, these two are obviously related. Trickery might just be a particular form of, of humor and maybe not that highbrow at that. Let me try this on for size and see if this helps a little bit. I think part of the benefit, this you know, maybe one of the the helpful qualities of humor is that we don't take ourselves too seriously. Human beings are funny. And I think the basic building block of humor in many ways has to do with a kind of incongruity. And that incongruity usually shows up through, on the one hand, these massive human aspirations and the the world in which we live and the limits that we bump up against. So I think humor, in many ways, is all about reinforcing human limitations. And so what does a trick do? If you're fooled, if you are, you know, if a prank is pulled off at your expense, well, you've been deceived. And I'm not convinced that's all that's that's necessarily wrong. There are absolutely instances where that can go too far and 
you can you can you know ratchet up the level of deceit but for the most part i think even and it's i've been pranked many a time and it's funny it's good to be able to laugh at yourself and it shows that human beings are fallible we are gullible creatures and we do we do get fooled quite a lot i think there's a there's a higher degree of sensitivity these days because of the level of sophistication with a lot of a lot of stuff that shows up online for instance it's very easy think about some of those deep fake videos right i mean it's it's really incredible the level of artistry behind that deception and of course there that raises some serious concerns about what you could do with a deep fake video for instance and whether there could be some actual serious legal and political ramifications but i think at its best humor is a reminder that we are funny creatures we're spiritual creatures and that's i think that's the basic incongruity in our lives on the one hand eternity in our hearts but also animal bodies in a in a fleshly world where there's nothing new under the sun and so i think that that can and this is also i think incidentally why some of some of the more influential comedians are also some of the more provocative because they will go after cultural sacred cows and they will flout those conventions i think the clearest example to point to here is dave chappelle he consistently goes for every one of those pressure points but in the end i think at root so much of this has to do with human beings are funny and often we're we're really silly i think about blaze pascal saying man is a reed but he is a thinking reed so you got that dual aspect it's amazing yeah this amazing possibility the spiritual these spiritual aspirations and qualities and then this funny body so Okay, I hear that. I'm I'm with you on that. Let me throw another um, thing in there. We love surprise. Definitely. If if Dave Chappelle walks out on the stage and lowers his eyebrow and looks at the audience, <laughs> you have no idea what's about to happen. Brace for impact. That's that's part of the you know. So there's that. Well, um, why do we jump out and scare? Why do we jump out and scare people? Um, why do we think that's funny? We like the surprise. So April 1st, when you put it on a date, most of us don't go to bed thinking, oh, tomorrow's date will be this. So there's an element of surprise in that. Even great puns, I think the reason we like them is because it's a surprising connection between words and ideas that we had never thought of before. And so they wonder if there's a little educational dopamine, fight or flight or delight thing that goes on with a lot of trickery and puns and and witticisms and humor because um it's it's new like there's an element of surprise so there so part of it is is the routine of there's nothing new under the sun but sometimes when we can laugh about something it shows us that something unexpected happened and we were able to make sense of it or make light of it quickly as it was occurring so yeah there's a i think there's a, a, a delight in surprise as well yeah, I think about when I'm chasing my kids around the house and then I'll hide behind something and then pop out at them and and they just absolutely love it. And it it startles them, but they absolutely love to be startled. And I think you're right. That's a general kind of principle there of humor. It works the best when you're also startled. And a joke can startle you into a new observation, you know, you can you gain a new insight. And yeah, it's just it's a delight and it's fun. And again, but 
So I think a prerequisite for a lot of this is you gotta you can't take yourself too seriously, and our culture takes itself very seriously. That might be a <laughs> that might be a serious well, turn so, in our conversation there. I think part of it, like for me, is I grew up in a house full of laughter and extended families of laughter. Let me give you so let me give you like a a classic uh, uh, April Fool's joke from one of my uncles. So um, my aunt was like thirty eight weeks pregnant, and April Fool's Day rolls around. And he calls his, his, yeah, he calls his mom and says, Hey, uh, she went into labor last night. We had her baby. And since, um, my grandmother's name is Pollyanna and her grandmother's name was Esther, we've named the baby Polyester and then hangs up. Right. It's a little girl <laughs> and we named her Polyester. Um, and then he starts thinking about it. It was like, you know what? I wonder if she got that that was a joke. And of course they can't get back through because the phone line is jammed while she's calling the entire extended family saying that they had a baby oh, no. little girl and named her polyester. Right. So sometimes, I mean, <laughs> you threw your head back and laughed when you, when you heard that story. Right. So I don't know. Like, and that's, he, he also wrote a letter one time to the telephone company saying that a tree fell and damaged something and that he wrote the check out of his own account and signed to April foolhardy. And got a check from the phone company written to him made out to April Foolhardy. Which I don't know what kind of person does that. But anyway, or or who could in, or may, I don't, so, I mean, so there are people who are just always looking for, like, I wonder if this would work. And then are delighted mm-hmm. and think it's hilarious when it does. Um, so, I'm, I'm sure everybody listening to this can think of somebody too, who kind of fits in that category of like, what if we just push the boundary of this just a little bit farther than where this would normally go and then laugh hysterically in the remote chance that it works or laugh at ourselves if it doesn't. So I don't know if laughter is the best medicine, but it certainly does have some sort of value for something. Well, you know, it's interesting though, Nathan, that so earlier you had a whole cast of of fool characters basically or different types of fool but there's there is one we haven't mentioned yet and that is the holy fool and there's i mean there's a very rich history behind the holy fool and we can't possibly do justice to it here but i think i think it's worth bringing in so i mean the main feature of the holy fool would be a kind of genuine and powerful innocence and a childlike quality that on the one hand, can make them a laughing stock because they don't fit into the normal status quo, and a kind of selflessness that makes them look foolish to people who just think, if you want to, if you want to make it in life, if you want to get ahead, then you should press your advantages and you should conduct your business in such a way that you gain the upper hand, you get advantage, and then the holy fool looks like somebody who, through a certain set of worldly eyes is trying to sabotage themselves. And yet they're living according to a different rule and a different order and a dif- different kingdom, and that would be the kingdom of God. And so I think it's worth bringing that element in here as well, because as Christians, more and more, especially as our culture gets less patient with Christianity here in North America, one of the real testing points, I think, is whether we are willing to look foolish in the eyes of the world. 
Yeah. So that. Yeah. So yeah, I want to throw that in here. That's really helpful. Um, and I think you know we can all we can think of biblical examples and stuff where Paul's basically saying, "Who cares what everybody else thinks? If I make a fool of myself, so be it." That, yeah, it's this analysis, this or this posture of saying, "I'm playing by a different set of rules. I don't care what other people think." Um, and if in doing so, if in showing compassion that makes me vulnerable, so be it. If every once in a while I get hurt because. 99.99% of the time I'm living with this outward facing, trusting, useful ethic. That's okay. There's that. So I, I guess as you're saying that, it made me think, what percentage of your of our time do you think subconsciously we spend on trying to not be perceived as a fool? I would guess that there's phenomenal mental energy that we're, it's kind of like a background operating system that's burning a lot of our subconscious um hard drive space and computing power and not being the fool. Now, some of that is necessary, but it also probably is correlates to your perception of how dangerous the world is as well. Um, so you need to have some of that, but it seems like that would be a category that'd be way, way too easy to overdo. You have any, I mean, how would we be able to evaluate whether or not we have the proper amount of skepticism at our perception of the way the world is around us? Well, I mean, I think one of the reasons that we take ourselves so seriously as a culture, I mentioned that earlier, is because we're just at a time where appearance is everything, to a degree that it hasn't been in the past. And when appearance is everything, when you are so concerned with public perception, even think about that term, you know, public perception or optics, these usually these used to be terms that were used in the context of, you know, maybe a larger corporation or some big institution or a company. Now, now we apply them all personally now because we have this outward facing, most of us have this outward facing kind of facade or image that we're able to project to the world through whether it is, you know, social media or whatever it is. Because of that, but see, it just ramps up the tension. So on the one hand, we're in a moment where appearance is everything, but also we're in a moment where appearances have rarely been this deceiving, mm -hmm. both in terms of outright manipulation and deception, which we've we've nodded at that. That happens all the time online. There's, a, I mean, for goodness sakes, there are whole corners of the internet and actually whole social networks devoted to nothing but pranks, essentially. And also the fact that there's tremendous pressure for us to convey an immaculate image to the world. And if we're going to do that, we can't be honest. We have to doctor up our appearances and our lives and, and put our best foot forward on everything. And so all of that contributes to this environment where you got a lot of artificiality. You have paranoia that you're getting, that you have constant paranoia that you're being deceived. And part of the reason for that paranoia has to be that you're doing some deceiving yourself, or at least you're, you know, you're, you're putting out a manicured image of yourself. So I think those are, those are all elements that really play into a constant preoccupation and need to be affirmed by others and that make you care deeply what everybody thinks about you. And I think a basic ingredient in, you know, a Christian's social freedom would be a real, I mean, just, just a not, not 
tie, just not so much of a worry about that, actually. I mean, to the point, I mean, this is the sound bite is living your life before an audience of one, but really, you would be freed from constantly worrying about public perception. First of all, you have to be a bit of a narcissist <laughs> to worry constantly about public perception. <laughs> I mean, chances are most people, you know, you're worried about what everybody's thinking about you. They're probably not. But yeah, so I mean, but also, to push it further, though, if you're willing to, if you go the way of the cross, and Luther was really good on this, you, I mean, it will be foolishness in the eyes of the world. Because it's not, yeah, we, we talked several podcasts ago about using a more expansive understanding of rational thinking, right? And, you know, good reasons, because we, we'd said self, mere self-interest can't be the only component of rational thinking. You can make rational decisions for the sake of others with a more altruistic motive in mind, and that expands the, the horizons there, but it also will make you look strange, because self-interest really is the the engine driving so much of just basic, regular life here in, in on North American shores. Ooh, so... If that is true, which I think it is, <clears throat> should Christians be funny people? Here's so here's here's my pitch. Yes. If if yeah, so so yes, <laughs> yeah, Cameron says. Absolutely. But if you have a really stable identity, that allows you a platform to experiment from and to play with and to care a little bit less about like if your identity doesn't come from other people's perceptions of you, that gives you a tremendous freedom to enjoy the funny things in the world. Um in a really healthy way, I think. So there's, I think there's a lot of exploration um, into even the funny that's left undone because people are concerned what other people think. Now, that's not to say that you want to be a bad witness about something or do things that compromise your core commitments and, and convictions. I'm not saying anything like that. But there are funny things in this world to be explored that are a gift to us from God. Oh, maybe, so yeah. maybe as we're bringing this uh, toward a close here, Cameron, we could, I could lay out some, um, we could lay out some April Fool's best practices, um, or things that we, I, I can, I can say this for me and maybe it's good for you too. So mm -hmm. I think a, any type of prank that's destructive <laughs> to property certainly is, <laughs> yeah. is out of bounds. Um, now, you know, the one where you take like a thousand plastic forks and stick it in somebody's yard that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't hurt anything. It just takes a little bit of time to, to clean up, particularly if you then mow them off with a lawnmower, but um, so anything that's destructive probably is out of bounds. I think I'm okay doing pranks in ways that surprise people, make people think, make people wonder, and second guess whether or not what they're seeing is really true. I don't want to do pranks that trade in their belief in me, my integrity, or my honesty in order to get a laugh. And so I would make a distinction there of a, a thing that I say to get somebody else to believe it that isn't true, isn't funny. It's a lie. If you have to say I was just joking on the other side of it, you probably crossed a boundary there because it wasn't immediately obvious that it was a joke at the beginning. So I think there are some things there where we can say the world is hilarious. Thank God for that. People are really funny. Um, some try to be and some don't try to be, but everybody is. And so if you can throw your head back and laugh, I think it's a sign of real health that you're operating out of a place of great spiritual calm and peace a proper understanding about uh, the way that the world works and the way that we're situated in it. And so let's do funny stuff. Let's make people laugh. 
it's a good thing. Let's see fun connections between things. Let's not lie to people. Let's not destroy things or uh, laugh at things that violate what we hold to be sacred. So I, I think there's, you know, I'm not giving specific examples there. Those are kind of, so I'm putting boundaries there, but for me, those boundaries are very far apart. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of room in between there of uh, real hilarious self-expression and inviting people to laugh along with you on this day. Um, and we didn't even get into the whole, he who, you know, the Jesus's condemnation of calling somebody else a fool, but uh, there's a deeper theological thing there. So enjoy laughter, but uh, let's make sure that it's in keeping with our overall way that we appreciate um, the way that God made the world and the God made way God made people and the way that we all fit in it together. Well, anyway, you've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope, sometimes say some funny things. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.